I was a freshman in college going to new orientation with all the other freshmen. Didn't know one single person on our campus. And I remember I was in the cafeteria for the first time putting all my food on my tray. And uh, as I turn around to go find a seat, this guy kind of runs by me really quickly, hits my tray, and it was like a slow motion moment where just I see everything in the air begin to fly up off my tray. Remember, this is our first impression of everybody in the room. It all hits the floor and kind of goes all over the place, and 500 freshmen in the cafeteria begin to clap sarcastically for me, right? As the guy who's running just kept going. For the next several weeks, as I introduced myself to people and got to know people, they're like, hey, you're that, you're that guy in the cafeteria that spilled his tray. Yeah, I guess you didn't see the guy who hit me, but yeah, that was me. I was there. How many sometimes you don't get to pick your legacy, right? I, 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 get, I, I bet for a million dollars if you put Thomas up here today and you asked him about his legacy, he'd probably tell you, I did a lot of great stuff too, never made the book. <laughs> I have one moment of crisis of faith and everybody remembers it, right? Doubting Thomas, the guy who doubted. John chapter 20, verse 24, you just saw this in, in, in the video. It said this, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will, say it with me, I will never believe. Pretty strong language, right? Not like I'm struggling to believe. Maybe I can believe. I'm on the fence. No, I'm not going to believe it unless I see him. I'm not, I'm not getting wrapped up in this again. There's something about Thomas and this language. There's just no way it's going to happen. I think we live in a time where a lot of people deeply resonate with the message of Thomas. They can resonate with, resonate with this kind of understanding that what you're presenting to me just doesn't seem rational. It doesn't seem, there's not a lot of empirical evidence around it. And so I'm going to dismiss your premise until you can give me a little, a little bit more factual evidence, right? Give me something that can prove this claim, because there's a lot of skepticism around Christianity in general and this radical and audacious claim that Christ is raised from the dead. And yet today, Easter, all over the world at different times, more people will gather today under the banner of Christ than any other day. There's supposedly 2.2 billion Christians on the planet, maybe even more. And today, many of those people will gather under this banner that Christ has been raised, that the grave is empty. How did someone like Thomas, how did someone like us, who's on this kind of cliff of skepticism, and you're, you're kind of there, and there's doubts, and there's lingering unbelief, how do you get across this chasm of doubt to this cliff of belief? How does one cross this? How does Thomas get there in his journey? What is John and his gospel trying to reveal to you and I about this? Thomas makes this declaration, unless I see, unless I place my hands in his wounds, I will never believe. Because guess what? People don't just resurrect from the dead, do they? That's not a thing. They have no concept for that. Thomas is like, we've been through so much. And, you know, Thomas wasn't in the room. I, I bet he had like the worst case of FOMO ever. He's probably thinking to himself, I'm never leaving the house again. Every time I leave, something cool happens. But if you ask me about Thomas and the text doesn't tell us this, I think Thomas wasn't there because Thomas is disappointed. Thomas is wrestling with his faith. I followed Jesus for a long time. 
This didn't happen like it was supposed to happen. The story was supposed to end different. And I'm just not in a place like the rest of the disciples that can just believe the story. In fact, Thomas probably looked at him and you're like, you're a little bit naive. Like you think you saw Jesus because you don't want to accept the reality that it's dead. And so you kind of like, you've made up this story to make yourself feel better, but I'm not, I'm not doing that. It may be a Christian in the room, you've read the story a million times. Here's what we miss a lot of times. We think that literally Thomas has this episode of doubt, and then we pan over to the next scene, and here is Thomas getting reinstated by Jesus. But that's not what the text says. Verse 26 says this, eight days later, eight days after this declaration of I will never believe, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them because Thomas is never going to leave the house again. Don't want to miss the moment. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe, Jesus said. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is in his glorified, resurrected state, and apparently Jesus can kind of just show up in rooms, but it's really important to note that Jesus is not just a spirit. He's not a ghost. He's not someone that you put your hand through, that Jesus is very much flesh and blood. He's very physical, and you're like, why is that an important part of the story? It's because one day we will not just experience a soul or a spirit resurrection. We will experience a bodily resurrection just like Jesus did. If Jesus' body wasn't resurrected from the dead, we're all in trouble. But he experienced a bodily resurrection where he says, touch me, I'm flesh and blood. you, You can see me, you can touch me. Do that, Thomas. Put your finger here where the nails went through my flesh. Put your hand where my side was torn open. Thomas, stop doubting, stop disbelieving, but allow your faith to be activated in this moment, Thomas. Don't let your doubts overcome you. Don't dismiss truth just because you can't comprehend it or it doesn't fit into your kind of frame of understanding, right? How many know there's a lot of things that we have to believe by faith that we don't necessarily understand in the moment? All the whys in the house. And before we're too harsh on Thomas, it's important to note that this resurrection story is full of doubters and people who doubt. The women at the tomb assume Jesus' body is taken or stolen because they don't uh, automatically think resurrection. The disciples disbelieved the report of the women that they said, we've met Jesus. They thought Jesus was a ghost when he appeared and not the resurrected Jesus again because no one's anticipating that. Even even though Jesus had told them numerous times this is what was going to happen. On the road to Emmaus, the disciples are walking away from Jerusalem. They're upset, they're disappointed, they're walking away from faith, and yet Jesus meets them on the road. I think this is really important to note because we live in a time here where a lot of people celebrate doubt. Let me tell you about doubt. Jesus gives us space and room, and he's patient with us and kind with us. Is anybody else grateful for that? In my story of faith, I'm so grateful that Jesus was patient with me when I began to deconstruct and when I began to go through seasons of doubt and unbelief. And and Jesus was, he graciously and lovingly allowed me to go through a season and pulled me back into him. But it's important to note in scripture, Jesus never celebrates doubt. A lot of people today celebrate doubt. They almost wear it like a badge of honor. It's like, it's good. You need to do that. Doubt can lead you to authentic faith. But you know what Jesus celebrates? Radical faith. 
the only time that Jesus is astonished or wowed, like two times in scripture, it's because somebody who shouldn't believe did believe. Like this Roman centurion comes up to Jesus and says, you just say the words and it will happen. And Jesus is like, you're not even a Jew. You have no concept of God and your faith is radical. And Jesus is impressed. How many of it takes a lot to kind of impress Jesus? Jesus doesn't celebrate doubt. He, he celebrates these radical confessions of like, you don't even have reason to have faith and yet you do. In this moment, Thomas exclaims, my Lord and my God, this declarative statement of faith, this undeniable evidence that the risen Lord has happened. And here's what happens in this moment is that Thomas crosses the divide. They show you this graphic on the screen. Like Thomas is, he's perched on this cliff of skepticism like many of us find ourselves in life. And some of us may find ourselves there again at some point. And we're looking here like, how do you cross this divide? And, and Thomas in this moment makes this statement, my Lord, my God, you are everything that you said you were and that you would do. And he moves from skepticism across the chasm of doubt into faith and belief. But here's the question I've always wrestled with in this text. I was that kid in Sunday school that asked the questions that the Sunday school teacher was like, please stop asking questions. Just the answer is Jesus. Just shut up, you know. <laughs> here's what I've always wondered when I read this story of Thomas. But what about all of us who don't get to touch Jesus' hands? Everybody else ever been there? I don't get to put my finger in your side, nor do I want to. It looks gross, right? I don't get to physically see the resurrected Jesus, so what, what about all of us? And, and let me tell you, that's exactly who Jesus is about to address. In fact, I believe that's why he tells us the Thomas story. It's great that Thomas is kind of reinstated and comes back to faith, but that's not really why John tells this story. He tells us this story for all of us who don't get to experience what Thomas experienced. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? And he said, blessed are those who don't see, who will never get to see, but have believed. Jesus was already foreseeing a time when he was going to be resurrected and ascended to the Father, and not everyone was going to have the tangible evidence of the resurrection in front of them. Jesus is already anticipating that. Thomas, not everybody's going to get to experience what you experience, so blessed are those who read your experience and believe, even though they don't get to experience the same thing. Blessed are you. These, these uh, beatitude statements, these blessed statements, there is a special blessing on your life for you who enter the kingdom through faith. Because here's what we learned about the Thomas story. For Thomas, seeing is believing. If I don't see it, there's no way I can believe it. But get what Jesus is doing here. The great reversal of the kingdom of God is this. Jesus is saying it's actually believing that allows you to see. See, this is how the kingdom of God works, and it doesn't work for other people this way, and it's, it's one of these paradoxes of the kingdom that seems contradictory, but it's, it's what Jesus is actually trying to get us to understand. Once you believe, your eyes are open to see the truth that was veiled to you beforehand, and you don't necessarily see it beforehand. When you're on the, the cliff of skepticism and you're still trying to wrestle through those, Jesus shows up to, in your life and he'll move in your life. But there's something about stepping across the chasm into belief that now our eyes are open to see who Jesus is and what he's done. And John's actually writing this gospel 
years after the Jesus story. This is why the, the Bible is so multi-level and multi-layered. Literally, we're reading the Jesus story happening, right, 33 AD-ish, somewhere in there. John's gospel is written towards the end of the first century for the church that he's pastoring. We're reading it 2,000 years later, and guess what? It speaks to all three crowds. It, it speaks to all groups. But John is writing his gospel to a group of people that, guess what? All these eyewitnesses to Jesus were dying. They were no longer around. So now the next generation of Christians had to believe in the resurrection, not because they saw the resurrected Jesus, but because they were reading this story. Aren't you grateful that this story is in scripture? That Jesus is anticipating this day? Think about it. Jesus is actually anticipating the day that you and I are living in, and he's looking at you and saying, blessed are you, City Church, April 17th, 2022, for you who will believe, and yet you don't get to put your hands in, this, in my side. You may not get to physically touch the resurrected Jesus here and now, but guess what? You believe, and blessed are you, because all of life and all of eternity is yours, and there's a place for you. John chapter 20, verse 30 John will kind of conclude his gospel this way. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I love that John tells us that. He actually says at the end of the gospels that there, the books couldn't hold all of the things that Jesus did. I didn't tell you every story. I told you specific stories to lead you on this pathway of faith. I told you these stories because John recognized, guess what? You may not be able to, to sit in a room where Jesus is going to sit and put your hand in his side, but you can read the stories of someone who did. And you can believe that it's true and that the grave is empty and that you have life through the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, that's what today is about, isn't it? that the tomb is empty and you and I get to draw from this deep well of joy that's never ending, this truth of the resurrection that guess what? You don't know the next chapter, but we know the final chapter. And the final chapter is so good and amazing and great, it makes all the troubles that you're going through right now worth it, doesn't it? I was reading a book this week, uh, and honestly, when I was reading this just for fun, never in a million years did I think I was gonna add this book to my Easter message. The book is entitled, they'll throw it on the screen, Everything Sad is Untrue, A True Story. And someone had recommended it to me. It's actually just a masterpiece, beautifully written book. Uh, it is about a true story about this, this guy, his name's Daniel, who wrote the book, who was, he had to flee Iran as refugees, him, his sister, and his mom because of their faith. They ended up in Edmond, Oklahoma, which I'm kind of from that area. So he tells his life as an Iranian refugee student in Edmond, Oklahoma. And he weaves in the story of his past and the present and how they, as they were refugees, and I'm not going to tell you the, I'm not going to ruin the book for you if you want to read it, but one of the things at the end of the book is that the hero of the story is not who you think, it's his mother, right? The hero of the story is her perseverance, that they're refugees in Italy and literally no country will sign on to receive them, so they're living in this place that no one would want to live, and just every day she continues to get up and fight, and she just continues to persevere. And, and sometimes Daniel said he'll look at his mom and he'll be like, I don't know how you do this. How every day do you just continue when there seems to be no hope? And we've been in this situation for so long. And finally, like, the United States took them and they relocated to Edmond. 
And he says something at the end of the book, and I'm literally reading this this week, not thinking about my Easter message. In fact, this was my distraction from Easter. At the end of the book, here's what he writes. He says, why was my mom so strong? Her perseverance so incredible. He says, but what you believe about the future will change how you live in the present. How many know that's true? And I think there's some Christians that need to remind themselves that. I think we need that daily reminder. How many know that Easter is our reminder that what you believe about the future changes how you live in the present? If you're living for this world, you're going to be wildly disappointed at every turn. This world may give you glimmer, glimpses and, 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 and glimmers and moments of the kingdom to come, but they're going to be few and far between, and there's a lot of pain and brokenness. But we have set our faces towards what God will do. Because the grave is empty, because he's resurrected, you and I have victory. We have power and authority. And guess what? Jesus will return for us. You don't know the next chapter of your story, but you know the final chapter. And guess what? That's enough. The final chapter is enough to sustain us. If you don't know what the final chapter is, let me tell you really quickly what it looks like. Christ returns for his people, for his church. The saints, you and I who are in Christ, we overcome. Every tear is wiped away. Let me stop for a minute because most people don't understand the gravity of this moment. Every tear is wiped away. Every longing of your heart that is unresolved, Jesus will resolve. There will not be a part of you that will be longing for something to change. Can you imagine that? Every wrong will be righted. Every, every bit of bitterness and resentment, everything that's happened in your life will be reconciled because of Jesus. Amen? Amen. It's going to be that good. Like it, it's going to be a place where finally you're going to say, guess what? I'm home. I no longer long for a different place, for something else. Like the presence of God will be fully sufficient for us. We'll no longer want anything else. And everything in our past that right now leaves us longing for more will be met. How many want that place? You're like, but this is Easter. Aren't we just celebrating the, the risen Savior? The risen Savior gives us all of that. If the grave is not empty, then death, hell, and the grave is not overcome. But because the grave is empty, let me tell you this morning, you have reason to rejoice. Even this morning, if you're like, you don't know my situation, Pastor, it stinks. You have reason to rejoice. Your next chapter may be difficult, I don't know. But your final chapter, if you are in Christ, is not. It's not. It's beautiful. It's amazing. If you would this morning, stand to your feet with me. My Easter message is always the shortest of the year. You're welcome. It's my gift to you. We're going to baptize some individuals in a minute and celebrate the risen Savior. You know my favorite part about the Thomas story? Thomas gets a bad rap, I know. My favorite part about the Thomas story is we don't get exactly what happened to Thomas after this moment with Jesus. We assume that he was probably there on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit is poured out as part of the early church. Early church documents and historians will tell you that no apostle took the gospel farther than Thomas did. The doubter, right? 
the guy who gets a bad rap, the guy that when we bring up his name is like, oh, that's the guy who doubted. No, actually, church history will tell us that he took the gospel into the Middle East from Jerusalem. He went east through the Middle East all the way to India. Today, if you go to India, there are shrines to Thomas set up all over the country because they attribute Thomas with bringing them the gospel for the first time. How many of Thomas' life was significant for Jesus? Did he doubt? Sure. Did he go through a little rough section of his faith? Yep, like a lot of us do. But he believed. And we get to look at Thomas' story here on Easter Sunday, 2022, and we get to learn from Thomas' story, and we get invited into this story that Jesus says, blessed are you who don't see, and yet you believe you have faith. My kingdom is for you. I'm coming back for you. Eternity is for you. For some of you right now in your next chapter that you're living in stinks, fix your eyes on the last chapter. Remember that what you believe about the future will change how you live in the present. That Jesus is inviting us this morning You may not see with your eyes, but believe, cross over the chasm and watch as I open up your eyes to the truth of who I am. If you would, right where you're at, just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Every week at City Church, we just create a moment for the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Maybe in the room you're like, I have no idea what that means, Pastor. It means this, God so extravagantly loves you that the Holy Spirit is always pursuing you. You're like, I don't even believe in Jesus. It doesn't matter. He's still pursuing you. God wants everyone to come to repentance. Not because he's disappointed in you. Not because you need to go back and make things right. Not because you've performed, but because he loves you that much. That's why he went to the cross. That's why after the cross, there was this time where we don't even know exactly what happened, but it seemed like he descended into hell and took the keys from death, hell, and the grave that, that, that were lost in Genesis 3. He took those for you so that one day you could be in eternity with him. If you want to know God's heart towards you, not for a moment is it disappointment. It is extravagant love of the Father that will never, ever, ever, ever stop pursuing you. I want you to hear that this morning. The love of God will never stop pursuing you. And maybe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to your heart and draw you to Jesus this morning. We celebrate that. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, I want to give you a chance to respond this morning if that's you. This is a very private moment. Your public moment is baptism. We're about to celebrate that. But this is a private moment, no one else looking around. We're not going to ask you to come forward or do anything like that. But if Jesus is calling you to him this morning, I, I want to give you an opportunity to respond and just say, Pastor, that's me. So with no one else looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you in the room, would you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. I want to pray that prayer. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Anybody else in the room? Say, that's me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Anybody else, this is your moment. It's worth us waiting for a minute. 
Father, we're so grateful for the gift of life. We are so thankful this morning that the tomb is empty, that we are not dead in our sin and our past. God, I'm so grateful, God, that I'm not who I used to be. God, I remember when you stepped into my story and you changed my life. I remember that moment, Father. It was so undeserved. I felt so worthless. And yet you stepped into my story and you loved me. We thank you for that this morning. We confess that we need a Savior, Jesus. We make you Lord of our lives. And with those individuals this morning, we rejoice that people are walking into the kingdom of God today. We thank you for that. City Church, can we give it a hand for those individuals making a decision this morning to follow Jesus? Amen, amen.